Welcome to Final Fantasy Weekly. I'm Drew Creasman, and on this episode, my brother Ira and I conclude our conversation about the first game in the Final Fantasy franchise and lay out our rubric for how we evaluate art, and obviously, in particular, these games. This is a great time to remind everyone that we are not video game journalists. We do not critique games for a living or even for pretend. We wouldn't presume to do so or to have the background knowledge of the video game industry. We are instead interested in these as stories and pieces of art that evoke us. But that doesn't mean that there's no room for critique and criticism, just that we apply a different set of standards. So let's jump into what those are. So how do you want to examine this first Final Fantasy game as a work of art? Well, that's a big question. <laughs> that's why I asked you. I think what I would like to try to do, and I think it'll be fun that part of this will be a little back and forth between us. Aha! Something we might not always agree on, since we're going to always agree on liking these games. Right. I think I have set out 11 things Really, it's a top 10, but there's an 11th. What is it with you and lists? Yeah, I, you know, it's how I roll. 11 things that I really try to avoid when I review something, which I occasionally have done, and really more things I wish people wouldn't do whenever I'm reading a review of something. These so, are the 11 things not to do, according to Mr. Drew Creasman. Right. And then after that, we'll talk about the five things we're going to try to focus on. But first, let's talk about the 11 things we're not going to do. All right? Everyone got that? 11, then five. So two lists. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. No one said there was going to be math, right? <laughs> let's do... <laughs> Let's start with my bonus thing not to do, because it's not a hard and fast rule, but number 11 on the list, avoid hasty assumptions or reviews of other things. Ironically, someplace I see this a lot is when a Final Fantasy movie comes out. You like Advent Children, so you start your Advent Children review by saying, well, everybody knows the spirits within sucked, and this is better than that. Right. right. That's a poor way to review something because you're assuming everybody agrees with your review of something else. Right. And, and it is important when you're reviewing something to take it in the context of, uh, of its history. And so if you're going to review Advent Children, you should talk about Spirits Within, but to assume hastily that everyone agrees that Thing X sucks is inappropriate. Right. So that's why I did have the word hastily in there and why it's a bonus one. It's like you can take the time to put it into proper context and you probably should and we'll get into that. So the, our list proper starts here with number 10. Recognize the difference between subjective and objective. This is something I think we're going to have a lot of back and forth on. This is at the crux of a lot of problems in trying to review things. But something I hear a lot of people say is, well, art or music or whether you like a video game or not is entirely subjective. To which I say, that's nonsense. And the reason I know that is because I'm a musician that used to be a really bad musician. And I got better. Well, certainly I can agree with you that that one can get better at playing music or writing or reviewing video games, but right. but somebody who has worked on and uh, perhaps mastered their craft, you can't necessarily say that their end piece is subjective, or excuse me, is objectively better than somebody else's end piece or, or opus or whatever you like. Yeah, there's some differences between being subjective and objective about how one can review a thing uh, and, and whether or not a thing is subjectively or objectively good or better, but 
sometimes that's it's a it's a false comparison. Sometimes we're it's the apples and oranges, aren't right? It? And I think yeah, the misapplication of it is where this often gets a bad rap from people who prefer that everything be subjective. But in video games, especially, like you can point out, for example, if there's a game mechanic that doesn't work, if a sure. game glitches, right. if that's like the equivalent of a singer missing a note. That's an objective thing that like you didn't do, you didn't play a note outside of the scale on purpose for effect. Right. You, you messed up. Which I don't think we're going to get much into in this, in, in this series of podcasting episodes, are we? Probably not. Where you might find it. No, I like podcasting episodes. We're keeping that? Yes. Okay. Where you might find it though, at least where there are some arguments out there is in plot Holes. Plot holes are objective. It either works or it doesn't work. It's not a subjective thing. Now, there are some things where it's ambiguous, so you can't say conclusively, like the 2,000-year time loop, like we talked about, it doesn't work. <laughs> but those are the things where you've got to recognize, yes, this is a matter of subjectivity versus certain things where it really isn't. If you're going to claim that this has a plot hole, you have a burden of proof to objectively show that it does sure. not work. That, that's fair. Number nine, take a moment to compartmentalize. I think this is, again, it kind of goes hand in hand with what we were just talking about. My favorite example of this most recently was when Suicide Squad walked away with an Academy Award for best makeup. And a bunch right. of people made jokes about how Suicide Squad has one more Academy Award than Citizen Kane. But the makeup artists are not the people that made the plot of that movie dumb. <laughs> right. The, the the makeup artists absolutely should be recognized for that movie. And and I think this is where we get into for, for this series when, when we're talking about graphics, for example. I don't think we can hold the graphics of Final Fantasy VII to the same standard that we hold the graphics of Final Fantasy XV. On the other hand, I'm not sure we're going to talk a whole lot about graphics in this series. To some degree. I guess when we get into the artwork and such. Yeah. Yeah. Where another thing where I think it will come into play in this series that I wrote here as part of this is there may be one massive flaw in the game or something that if it's not even objectively a flaw, subjectively something you really don't like. I can think of specifically in 10 and 13, they're linear hallways. You may not like that, but if you're going to try to objectively review something, you have to compartmentalize and not just say, well, this entire thing is bad because it has a feature that I really don't like. Right. Like that has nothing to do with, again, the music, the artwork, the storytelling, the characters, what the central themes were. But you can't so, say subjectively... I don't like that game because of that one thing I don't like. Exactly. Right. And those are just two different comments right. to be made. That's kind of the difference between subjective and objective might otherwise be said. The difference between saying something is good versus something is my favorite. All right, smart guy. Listen, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll keep having that debate. In fact, the, our, the number eight, be open to debate. Love which, to debate. Which means that it actually is possible to be wrong about how you've interpreted a sure. piece of art. Yeah. One of my favorite things is to have somebody point out something to me in a book or a game or a movie that I didn't realize that I perhaps misinterpreted and, and be open to reinterpreting the whole thing, be, be open to understanding it in a new way and perhaps appreciating a thing that before I thought was uh, uninteresting or no good. For example, something from Final Fantasy that I was convinced, like most people, the first time I saw the laughing scene in Final Fantasy X, 
I thought it was absurd, silly, stupid, all of this. I eventually had someone put it to me in such a way that I came to understand it was supposed to be awkward and then challenged me. Have you ever tried to make yourself laugh? Who put it to you that way? I think it was you. Gosh, I sure hope so, because I love that scene. <laughs> and it it made sense to me after that. And once I learned, number seven, understand the history. Once I came to realize the yeah. voice actor <laughs> has all these awards oh, yeah, in the world. Great... Yeah. You know, you recognize, oh, it was a choice that was made. Right. And you may think it's silly, but when you understand the history, and of course this is more important for, like you were talking about, the context of the game and understanding that all of these things are kind of working off of each other. As Picasso famously put it once, good artists borrow, great artists steal outright. So yeah, one place I think this comes up a lot, which oftentimes gets mixed up, is when people are badgering. Like I had somebody get on me once for liking Supergirl because they thought that the existence of Supergirl, the television show, was coming out of the fact that comic book stuff was just really popular right now. And I had to explain to him that Supergirl is a character who's existed since the 60s. Right. And the show may well have come out of that. Well, comic book stuff is popular right now. That's also because it's a lot of fun and pretty good right now. So, right. so it's, it's possible to to understand it as something good in, in the context of Supergirl as a character and also in the context of our social appreciation for nerd stuff right now. Right. But I, yeah, I think a lot of nerd stuff gets undercut by people who want to review it without ever making an honest attempt to understand the history or the culture behind it. So I don't think anyone listening to this is going to have that problem, but still, yeah. Number six Everything has tropes. Put them in context. Tropes are not necessarily a bad thing. Right. They're, they're certainly not inherently negative. As a, as a person who tries to teach English to high school students. Uh, tries. Well, you know, less so since I became a librarian. Since I became a librarian. But still, you know, every once in a while, the subject does come up. Uh, yeah, tropes are simply uh, a way of understanding certain things that happen over and over again in various forms of literature. They are not an inherently negative thing. They're just a way to understand the sort of things we like to read, write, listen to, play, and so on. Excellent. Number five, accept the premise. I love this one. This is something a lot of people really struggle with, especially if they, again, in the nerd culture, they find a premise to be inherently counterintuitive, silly. If I recall correctly, after watching Benjamin Button, a movie I liked, even though a lot of people thought it was boring, and it is a bit, I get that, but there was a, a, a famous movie reviewer who may well have been Mr. Ebert, who was saying something along the lines of he just could not accept the premise, it just didn't, it just seemed wrong to him. He just could not get behind the premise of the movie, and that's fine if you don't like a movie because of the premise, but to assume the movie was poorly done because you didn't like the premise or didn't get the premise or, or couldn't get on board, that's, a, that's a, a personal issue, not an issue with the movie or the game itself. Right. And I think another extension of this is that as long as a thing follows its own rules. So sure. I, like I've heard a lot of people critique Star Wars because the Force is somehow this catch-all. Uh, or I actually heard somebody say of the Final Fantasy series inaccurately, and I'm not going to call the person out, the uh, YouTuber that gets way more listens than, than this podcast. <laughs> but claim that Final Fantasy often uses memory loss and dreams as deus ex machina to solve plot holes. And that is incorrect. They often use having amnesia as a part of their plot, 
Right. But it's not to solve problems. It's almost always to create them. Right. It, it's definitely a, a strong theme that comes back again and again. And it, yeah, it's it's done purposefully, not as a way to get out of a hole they might have dug themselves into. So yeah, you got to accept, uh, or at least try to understand it from its own terms. Right. Number four, very important. We've touched on this a little bit. Cynicism is not criticism. And in addition to that, it kills creative thought. You cannot watch or play or listen to something for the first time ever again. And if your approach to that thing the first time is, I'm only half paying attention to this, or I think it's stupid, or I'm not trying to get it, I'm looking for things about it I don't like, I'm trying to tear it apart. I understand that a lot of time criticism and tearing things apart seem like they're the same thing, but they're not. You go back on a second or third playthrough and you find the things that that don't work or you know that are actual plot holes but when you approach something for the first time i find this happens to a lot of people you never go looking for the parts of the movie or the show or the music or the game that are really good and really quality because you're just not looking for it i think the place in the series where this has occurred the most is with the most recent numbered entry with final fantasy 15 where So many folks played that game with their proverbial arms crossed, you know, not happy about what it was from the start, either not happy that it wasn't Final Fantasy versus 13 or not happy about all the DLC and having to watch a movie and a show and however valid any of those criticisms may be, ended up not taking an honest look at what was actually in front of them because it didn't have the things they were hoping or expecting to get. But we'll get back to that one. Happens in sports all the time. People just don't go looking for the information. So, yeah. Uh, One of the things about this one, I I do feel like I can, like I can't watch something again for the first time, but I do feel like I can re-experience it with fresh eyes. And I think one of the reasons I can do that is because of number eight, being open to debate. If I have somebody tell me, no, you totally misunderstood that Shania Twain song that you hate. Sure. Then I can re-listen to it. And again, you know, I'm not listening to it for the first time, but I can uh, try to appreciate it or try to re-appreciate it, which is uh, yeah. similar to, to what you're saying here. Yeah, I think that can be done. But for the most part, it's it's just tough to go back and remake that first impression. But you're right. It's worth, I think, trying to do that. You're right. That's a worthy endeavor. Uh, number three as we've talked about, yes. we've had this conversation. I plot, won. Plot is king. Yes. But only if you're talking about a king on a chessboard. Let's. Right. I think the thing that gets me about this conversation the most <laughs> is that people often think if they can accurately show you the line of a plot and either that it works from beginning to end or that it doesn't, that they've said all that there needs to be said about a book or a movie or a game or whatever. Right. Uh, if that That's a book report. It's not an analysis. And we are not looking for just book reports here. We're not just looking for you to tell us what happened, you know, event A, event B, event C. We're looking for uh, something a little more interesting than that. So uh, I, I do agree with you on this. Plot plot is only king insofar as you've got to have a solid one. It's got to be standing for everything else to work. Number two. This is very important. <laughs> People, really tenured reviewers, widely read national people 
mess this up constantly. I saw it recently a lot with Blade Runner. A depiction of a thing is not an endorsement of a thing. Yeah. Tyler Durden is not the hero of Fight Club. No. That is a cautionary tale. It is also worth mentioning, though, that just because a movie depicts a thing doesn't mean that they necessarily critique the thing either. So a character might be uh, a sexist creep on a TV show, and the TV show might not do a very good job of critiquing that person's behavior or presenting it in a way for it to be critiqued. In fact, sometimes they will present bad behavior as, as valorized or lionized. So sometimes depiction of the thing, while not endorsement of the thing, also isn't criticism of the thing. Right. Sometimes a thing is just there because they think, you know, the author thinks it fits into the story. There, there are all kinds of reasons. But yeah, people put a lot of extra meaning sometimes into whether or not. I think probably one of the best examples, like Ed Norton playing a supreme racist in American History X, right? Sure. Like, clearly, he doesn't think or feel that way. And sometimes people get so caught up in, uh, especially if it is kind of the hero of the story, Right. Saying certain things, but no, we've got to be able to. One I saw in Final Fantasy was somebody claiming that Final Fantasy is clearly anti religion because it's common for them to have the corruption of religion be a part of their villainous enterprises. Sure. Right, right. But like you were kind of saying, those just happen to be these particular villains in this particular way. That I think there are some critiques of religion to be had, and we're going to sure. do a podcast on that. Well, and especially of organized religion, not necessarily of uh, spiritualism, as I think uh, Aries very strongly proves. Correct. So I think, again, you've got to be really careful about just saying, well, the bad guys typically are religious, so Final Fantasy is anti-religion. Like, no. Yeah, not so much. And number one, and again... This is the thing I see missed most often when people review stuff. It's so bad, but not getting what you expected or wanted is not the same thing as a product being bad or it not being good art. Yeah, I, I think this is a especially important. Uh, expecting a movie to be one thing and having it be another or expecting a game to be one way and having it be something else doesn't mean that it was bad. You got to take on its. Uh, you have to take it on its own terms, much like accepting a premise. Possibly my second favorite video game franchise, Metal Gear Solid, has this problem with its second game, which is my favorite in the franchise. And you will regularly hear people say, "Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was really good." But no one wanted a game where we played as Raiden the whole time. We wanted to play as Snake because he's awesome and Raiden's a whiner. And it's like. I loved that I got something completely unexpected because I've been playing Final Fantasy my whole life. And so I was ready for a sequel that was different and challenged the rules. And so you, I, I think that's probably the most commonly used phrase that I see in reviews of stuff where people will say, nobody wanted this. Sure. That's nonsense. Right. Also irrelevant. One of the, I think related to that is sometimes people will say about a movie or a game, it was trying to be. Mm. And that always feels to me like the reviewer, or it often feels to me like the reviewer is saying, this is what I thought it was going to be, and therefore, when it wasn't, I was disappointed. And I actually ran into this recently. I watched a movie, a Studio Ghibli movie, who we have mentioned and or will mention in the future. It's called When Marnie Was There. And it's a beautiful movie, as Studio Ghibli movies are. Uh, but the trailer really presents it as it's going to be this kind of movie. 
And then it sort of is for the first half hour, and then it takes this turn, and it's something else. And I'm still I'm coming to terms with it. I'm I'm, I'm conflicted on the movie. Uh, I won't get into a review of it obviously right now because we're doing a totally different podcast. <laughs> different one, yeah. But certainly that was one where I was expecting a thing, and it was only kind of that thing. And and I am disappointed, and I'm I'm trying to figure out how I feel about it. And and in this universe, I think something where we've seen a large group of people do this. I've noticed this uh, as I've been doing research for the podcast is Final Fantasy twelve which when it first came out, there was a lot of backlash against I mean, it's not directed by Hironobu Sakaguchi. Right. It's The music isn't by Nobuo Uematsu. Right. It takes place back in the Evilists, so it's it's more related to Vagrant Story and Final Fantasy Tactics than it is in some right, ways right. the numbered. There are a lot of things people didn't like about that. It plays like an open world game, which is where now the industry is know, just right. gone. Oh man, Final Fantasy open world? You look How back on they? it now, it was so ahead of its time, but it's the game that I have seen the most where there were negative reviews of it when it first came out and people have completely swapped to the point where Watch Mojo had it listed as their number two Final Fantasy game, their favorite. Really? Yeah, and wow. I know a lot of people have it now. And it's not in my top four or five. That's a conversation for a whole other time. Yeah, I've seen that list. Uh, we'll get there. But I think after years of people taking a look at it and realizing that just because it wasn't what they wanted didn't mean it wasn't really, really good, because it was. And I think people just took the time and, and it took a little getting over what you, you needed it to be. Maybe one day enough people will see Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. Man, <laughs> I think I think we're on a losing battle on that one. Maybe. Alright, so those are the things we're going to try to do and or not do. Our, our list of 11 things, that our list of 11 rules that we follow when we're trying to critique or analyze something. But that was only sort of the question. The question was, Drew... <laughs> yeah, that was a nice little side. How, how are we going to try to analyze this game as a piece of art? I think a good way to try to do it is separate it into five really broad categories here. I love me some really broad categories. <laughs> One, we're going to talk about impact on society and culture. Now, this is kind of how I prioritize whenever I evaluate art, but I think you're going to, most times you're going to see these things, just maybe not in this order. So I put impact on society and culture first. This is how timeless is it? This is, does it make a comment on our society, on the way we live our lives? Does it have something to say that would be meaningful, that it's possible for a person to walk away from that piece of art saying, that impacted my life. That made me think about who I am, who I want to be, what kind of world I want to live in. I think that's the most important thing you can do to become a great piece of art. Number two, your impact on the industry. Uh, did you break rules? Did you establish new norms? The Beatles are famous for, you know, getting a ton of points for doing this impact on the industry. A lot of times when you see best video games of all time, you'll see Tetris and Pong and Super Mario in the right. top couple spots. Because they broke it open. Right. I put that at number two instead of number one, partially for that reason. Number three. This is where a lot of the subjectivity we're talking about earlier, subjectivity versus objectivity, this is far more subjective. How well-crafted is it in each of its individual parts, as we've been talking about on this podcast? The art, the music, the gameplay, everything that comes together, how well-crafted is it? Originality, composition, functionality. We're talking about, does it have flaws? Right. Aesthetically appealing, that's really subjective when you start getting into aesthetic appeal. Um, 
And then, and then the quality of the first thing we talked about, the societal impact. It's one thing to have something to say. It's another thing to do so in right. a, an incredibly evocative way. The fourth thing as part objective and part completely subjective, which is impact on individuals. Right. Impact on individuals can be measured in a completely objective way through sales. Sure. In pretty much any, you know, movies, music works for everybody. Right. How much money did they make off it? And then the other thing which we see a lot with the Final Fantasy universe especially is just the impact you see on individuals and how much they make it a part of their lives. Right. As we've already talked about here with all those uh, fan uh, arrangements of Nobuo Uematsu's music, you can also see that in fan art. You can see it in, I mean, there's an RPG maker in which people try to make and remake various Final Fantasy games or, or variations thereof. Uh, you can see it on cosplay. Fan uh, fiction. Fan fiction, absolutely. And then fifth, and it's the thing I think people oftentimes get a little too carried away with because I think it's the easiest one typically to spot. Sure. Flaws. Does this thing have glaring flaws? And I think uh, another nerdy thing that I'll put this conversation in context of and, and kind of wrapping up our 11 and our 5 here was I think a good litmus test for this is I think that the third Chris Nolan Batman movie is better than the first Chris Nolan Batman movie. Oh, boy. The first <laughs> Batman Begins. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know that one. Has a plot with few flaws. Right. That works really well. Yes. But to me, thematically, mm -hmm. is less interesting. Has less of that, number one, impact on society and culture. What I really like, like about Dark Knight Rises, while conceding it has way more flaws... Because there are some things, plot hole, the, the autopilot thing uh -huh. doesn't yep. make any sense. Right. Uh, the magical knee brace? Yeah. Kay. Doesn't make any sense. The sure. back broken thing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There's a lot of stuff in that movie that does not work. Okay. It is a more flawed film. But what it has to say about the culture war between the rich and the poor and turning Batman's wealth into a potential villainous aspect of his character, mm -hmm. I thought was far more interesting and timely of a comment on where we were, especially like the scenes where Bane is going into stock exchanges and talking about how you steal money from people. Right. To me is far more interesting than anything that happens in Batman Begins. Well, I would fight you on that, but this is not a Batman podcast. Correct. That was just my <laughs> anyway. Yeah, that was just an example. You you may agree or disagree, and I think what you would say then was that you might put flaws higher on your priority list, where flaws are number five on my list. If I can, some flaws won't throw me off unless they're absolutely just as we've talked about, just derail your thing entirely. Right, right. That's fair. But All so right. for the most part, we're gonna do that with Final Fantasy One. Okay. Okay. What's next? What's next? So, Drew, yeah. we have talked about the story, 
We've talked about gameplay. We've talked about music. We've talked about artwork. How would you say then, I'm not going to ask you to rate it because I think we said we're not going to do that, but how would you, if you want to talk about video games as an artistic medium, how can we use that lens to understand Final Fantasy as a whole? The the first game, Final Fantasy 1. Yeah. Well, traditional logic would tell you that you start with, like if I'm applying the other world I'm most familiar with where you do these kinds of exercises, which is music, you talk about impact on the industry or, and actually when, when you talk about impact on the industry, what you're really talking about is a manifestation of what rules did you break or what new things did you introduce? Because that's how you nice. that's how you impact the industry. If you make something that's exceptionally well crafted, but you didn't have any new ideas of yourself, you're I don't know, in sync or something. Well done. Put together. You guys can sing and dance good. But are you picking on those boys again? I would never. Is that gonna be a whole nother podcast episode? <laughs> yes. Um <laughs> But the reason, <laughs> uh, the reason bands like the Beatles are remembered as well as they are, the reason they're talked about in object when people are objectively trying to measure music, is because they introduced so many ideas that previously had not been implemented in music, in, in, that had reached any kind of wide audiences, and it's stuff we would see repeated by people throughout the years ever since. And I think that's where you have to start with Final Fantasy One as a piece of artwork. It might be the second most important piece of artwork in the franchise in that particular measuring tool of, of impact on the industry because they're really it really set the stage for how you make a successful role-playing game there's before final fantasy and after final fantasy the same way there is kind of before the beatles and after the beatles i would say number one on that list is probably final fantasy 7 hate it love it whatever you may feel about it that game had, I think, more impact on the industry and more bending of the rules than even the first game did because where Final Fantasy I is built on the predecessors of things that we've talked about, Dungeons & Dragons, Lord of the Rings, Dragon Quest, Final Fantasy VII has taken the things that they kind of set up themselves, they've established their own thing, and then they start bending and breaking their own rules and it's just rare in artistic history that you see people get to do something like that but th there may be other games you might say they actually had a bigger impact but final fantasy one changed the course of video games and arguably of digital storytelling one of the other things we tend to talk about when we talk about whether or not a piece of art or work of art is, is good art or worthy of discussion is the cultural impact. You might think of this as its popularity, whether or not the thing was popular, but it's also about timelessness. For example, we talk about Shakespeare as one of the greatest English writers of all time, and that's because not only is his work popular, a lot of people like it, but it's also timeless. It is done again. It is retold. It is retold in, not only is it staged countless times per year, but it is also told in a different way. For example, West Side Story is a retelling of Romeo and Juliet. 
Ten Things I Hate About You is a retelling of Taming of the Shrew. The Lion King is a retelling of Hamlet with a little bit, a little bit of Henry V in there. Or Henry IV, excuse me. Final Fantasy has been redone. Not only in its own remakes, but it has had other games that have have striven. Other games that have tried to be a Final Fantasy-like game. Or to take Final Fantasy's successes and improve on them in some ways. And some games have, and, and some games, uh, I think, missed the mark. But as a work of art, as as the video game medium we talked about earlier, combining story and visual arts and musical arts, and then this gameplay, this mechanic that allows you to, in some ways, control how, how the art is experienced and understood, Final Fantasy not only because it launches this massive franchise, but because of what it does itself is, is an impact on the culture. And you can see it in the concerts. You can see it in the fan art, in, in people who have remixed the music, who cosplay it. There, there is an impact on the culture, and that uh, is at least as, as important, I think, as the impact on the industry. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think that that's probably more important even. I think there is a huge impact on the culture. When Final Fantasy XV was coming out, I, I mentioned Xavier Woods earlier. He He's part of a video that they did with a bunch of people just talking about what the franchise has meant to them over the years. There were a lot of people, a lot of couples who got together playing Final Fantasy VIII. That, that was a common thread. There are are a lot of people that have Final Fantasy music played at their weddings. There are people that have, you know, that, that dress up as the characters at their weddings or at big events or certainly at events where you're supposed to do those kinds of things. No, 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 you're not supposed to at weddings, but I mean, what the whole point that everyone is there to do, you know, cosplay or video game conventions, whatever it may be. There are always people out there in Final Fantasy stuff doing it. And I'm, you know, I, I'm sometimes addicted to those top 10 lists that you can find all over YouTube. Watch Mojo, yeah, What are. Culture, the, any of those ones, I'll get into watching top 10 lists. And it's not uncommon to see this. Top 10 RPGs not in the Final Fantasy franchise. <laughs> yeah. Because if you did the top 10 RPGs of all time... If you're trying to legitimately be objective, or I've seen top 10 stories in video games, non-Squaresoft or non-Square Enix, because if you include them, they're going to take up at least half your list. I've seen that with music as well. You know, top 10 video game compositions were not including Nobuo Uematsu in this. He can have his own, and then he'll have his own list, which I don't understand how anyone... And probably Koji Kondo also, because right. that's not quite fair. Ko- yeah, Koji Kondo could absolutely have his own list. but and, and I think that that's also true for people outside of, like you were saying, just the impact of the industry, just for people who it's impacted their lives. Like, I really like lots of different kinds of video games, and I think there are lots of different kinds of video game stories that are really interesting. Some of them creep up on some of the level, but there just isn't anything that with anywhere near this kind of consistency has me thinking about it, feeling about it, wanting to just stay inside of it. And that's the reason why there are so many of them and they sell so many copies whenever they come out. 
And I believe it was the famous movie critic, Roger Ebert, who said that he would believe a video game is a piece of art, is a legitimate art form, when somebody says they cried while playing a video game. And when you look at any polls, any question, if you crowdsource information from video game fans, what was the first video game that made you cry? The overwhelming favorite is Final Fantasy VII, and we all know the moment. It's always number one on that list. For people, I mean, if you're old enough to have played it when it first came out, especially, that might start to go down as, you know, younger people come up and the first game they played that made them cry was something that's new. But for people who were playing games at the time, and I think largely for the industry, that was the first time that maybe even video game technology was in a place where they were capable of doing it. There are a lot of ways you could look at it, but the long and short of it is that I don't think that's a completely unfair way to try to very broadly categorize art, that it at least have the ability to move you on that level. And I think that while the Final Fantasy franchise may have reached that before 7... I think it did. And I, and I think we can talk about some of that when we get there. I think it is the franchise that succeeds on that level more than any other game in the medium and does so as well as maybe any other franchise in film, television, video game, or comic book that I can think of. And I'm relatively well-versed in those things. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and thank you to everyone who has reached out to us. Feel free to let us know what we missed, got wrong, or should have mentioned by following us on Facebook and Twitter at FFWeeklyPod, or you can send an email to FinalFantasyWeekly at gmail.com. Also, find us on Patreon at Patreon.com slash FFWeekly for more episodes and content, and don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. Join us next time when we analyze Rebels, Imperials, and the motifs that divide us. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget that if you need more episodes right now, there's a whole bunch of them available on that patreon.com slash ffweekly up through the end of Final Fantasy VII. And if you're interested in hearing me talk about all kinds of other nerdy stuff, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, the MCU, the DCEU, and my huge defense of the DCEU, other video games more Final Fantasy topics that we can't get to here on this show, or for some reason, Colorado Rockies baseball, and a bunch of other sports topics, you can find all of those at patreon.com slash dcproductions.